JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What we do need to do right now is crunch some numbers. I am uh, incapable of doing it myself. Thus, we call on an expert from Pro Football Focus every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Brad Spielberger is kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you doing? All right. Give me uh, the confidence or lack thereof that you have in Gardner Menchu for an extended period of time starting for this team in terms of hanging in the AFC South, winning games, and you know doing not numbers-wise, but again, in terms of winning, doing what Anthony Richardson, maybe people thought he could do as a rookie. Where's your level of confidence in the backup here? It's pretty, it's pretty high. It really is. I think this was a perfect idea to bring him along with Shane Steichen, uh, who clearly knows how to cater an offense to his skill set, um, and just stay on schedule, you know, take what the defense gives you, you know, scheme up some open receivers, and they've used Josh Downs really well, and I think him and Gardner Minshew have a good connection already. Maybe they worked together a lot over the offseason as Downs kind of adjusted to the NFL game. So it's pretty high. I mean, obviously he's proven it to a degree. He has basically two wins already under his belt against some good opponents. Um, I think that this team, you know, in the right game script, and if they keep things close and low scoring and, and frankly, a little bit ugly, uh, I think they can win games with Gardner Minshew. You think Gardner Minshew, I was just talking to a friend of the show, Greg Raystraw, who hosts the Colts postgame show, and he mentioned that Gardner Minshew is, is clearly better than, you know, maybe less than a handful, but certainly uh, close to that of starting quarterbacks of the NFL. Is that numbers-wise, and, and really not just numbers, but in, in your estimation, is there some truth behind Behind that too, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the thing with with when you're bringing along young quarterbacks is obviously you're, what you're chasing is the upside and the potential for what they could be with more experience down the road. But as of right now, today, I mean, you look across the NFL, like Desmond Ritter versus Gardner Minshew, easy Gardner Minshew. I mean, even I like Bryce Young, but the current version of Bryce Young got outplayed by a wide margin by Andy Dalton when he did come in for Carolina. So again. Not to say they're going to be better in the long haul, but yeah, right now Gardner Minshew is a top, I don't know, twenty-five quarterback in the NFL. How many situations might you be able to think of right now to where the starter goes out? And, and again, I, I look at Anthony Richardson with a more of a level of importance than than just being, you know, the starter and the numbers. You want to get him that that maturity, that growth as a rookie, a twenty-one-year-old quarterback. But minus that, how many teams around the NFL can you count that would feel galactically better in some cases when your starter goes down? Because around here, nobody wants to see Richardson injured, but they feel just as good, if not better, that the outcome, the results can be as positive as if Richardson is the starter. It doesn't seem like that that's probably the case in very few spots, I would guess, around the NFL. Yeah, it's probably not a super common thing, but I mean, I don't know. I think in Pittsburgh, there might be some people that think Mitch Trubisky is a better quarterback than the current version of Kenny Pickett. You know, I mentioned Andy Dalton. Obviously, he's, you know, 35 years old, but but he looked pretty darn good in that game he played, um, you know, with the same bad offensive line, with the same playmakers that can't really create separation. Um, Andy Dalton was phenomenal in that game, went over 300 yards against a good defense um, in Seattle. So, there's a couple right off the bat there. Um, yeah, it's obviously not a position you want to find yourself in uh, or have that debate or that conversation, but there are a handful uh, across the NFL. The Colts better right now across the board than you expected them to be to start the season? They are. They are. I, I did push back a bit coming into the season on this narrative that they were you know, going to be horrendous and like a top five pick type of team. 
uh, because I, I still just think the trench units were, were very talented and had a lot of players that all kind of simultaneously had bad years last year. And now I think Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson are both playing better than last year by a, a wide margin, as is Ryan Kelly at center once he gets back in the lineup healthy. And then I think Grover Stewart is playing like the 2021 version of Grover Stewart. You know, DeForest Buckner is always going to be DeForest Buckner, but, you know, Quiddy Pays played better. Um, you know, Deo Dengbo, I think, starting to make some more and more plays. I, I bring his name up a lot on this show because I think he shows a lot of flashes. So, yeah, no, I, I, they are better than I expected, beating some good teams like Baltimore, et cetera. Um, but I, I view them as more of like a seven-win, scrappy, seven-eight-win team, not as the four or five-win team that some people thought. So Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, anybody at all not shocked at the numbers on the ground Zach Moss is putting up right now? It's it's been it's been impressive. There are some situational you know moments where um, you know like you look at down to down efficiency in terms of converting third downs and stuff like that where maybe you could argue Jonathan Taylor could get a push and, and get a first down in certain scenarios, but. Yeah, I mean, talk about a guy responding to, you know, effectively losing his job uh, going forward and having quite the performance in that game. I think the only reason people aren't super shocked is he was good the last, what, four or five weeks in Indianapolis last year when he arrived in that swap for Naheem Hines. Like, he's a good early down runner, um, and I think he's kind of, you know, got his career back on track in it. All right, were you surprised that both sides came together and Jonathan Taylor got that extension going back to last Saturday? A little bit. You know, I, I did always assume there was a decent chance that Indianapolis would just say, look, we're not going to move you. We'll play, you know, franchise tag hardball and really just drag this thing out in perpetuity. And maybe Taylor's side finally said, okay, we can find a common ground. Um, and I think it's exactly what they did. Look, it, the, the modern NFL now, this is the Nick Chubb contract just adjusted for salary cap inflation. It's very simple. You get guaranteed money that is two franchise tags plus a couple million dollars. Then the third year, you know, we'll see if you make it to that third year. Like, that is the going rate of the position. Is it fair? Is it, is it you know, whatever? Is he worth more than that? Separate conversation. But, but that's the market. And, and I think both sides recognize, like, look, we, we want to pay you. We want to keep you around. You're a special talent, an important player to this franchise in this city. Let's just get you financial protection, you know, get you in the upper echelon of pay um, at the position. And I think it was kind of a win for all parties. This is Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Somebody gave me a comparison because the Colts are in Jacksonville on Sunday and they wanted me to compare Jacksonville and their start to that of Cincinnati. And we note that Cincinnati is currently under 500, whereas the Jags are over it. But I think Cincinnati, you know, whether you're talking about the Burrow injury and getting better from that or just overall getting better, more efficient offensively, which they struggled in early on, I I think Cincinnati is going to play a lot better, meaning they're not the type of team that they look like right now. However, with Jacksonville, I think Jacksonville is kind of what they look like right now. Would you agree? I think the one big thing for me was you saw the impact right away of Cam Robinson getting back in the lineup. So he flies to London for the week four game, but cannot play because of his suspension and then gets to play in this game. Unfortunately, both he and Walker Little got hurt in the game, but, but his ability to slide in at left tackle and then you kick Walker Little to guard uh, or Anton Harrison to guard and have Walker Little to tackle, whatever you want to do there long term, it, it improved two positions on the offensive line. And I think you saw in Trevor Lawrence in the week four game against Atlanta, they never threw the ball downfield. They were getting the ball out extremely quickly. And in this past week on throws 10 plus yards downfield, Trevor Lawrence was 10 of 15 for 180 yards and a touchdown on third and fourth down. He was nine of 10, including that touchdown pass. So I think they're going to play a little better. The the, the thing that'll maybe really vault them into a a higher echelon is that secondary and that defense needs to play better. They're pretty good against the run, but Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker just need to get home with more regularity. Um, You know, but you know, Darius Williams made a couple plays in coverage the last couple weeks. I don't know. I I think they're still uh, have the capability with growth from young talent to get into the you know top three seed in the AFC conversation. Now, I'm still bullish on Jacksonville. All right. I want to ask you about a couple of defensive players for the Colts for a moment. And this question is via Larry Brown inside the lounge, the Winshuler Spreadable Cheeses Lounge, via YouTube Live with a group that's watching and listening and participating right now. He wants to know if Grover Stewart, because he believes he is, is very underrated along that Colts defensive line as it stands. 
Absolutely. I think Grover Stewart was in the conversation for a couple of years for one of the more underrated players in the entire NFL. Um, and like I said, I don't think he had a great season last year. I think he was dinged up a little bit. But, but this season he's been on a tear. I mean, he's one of the better run defenders on the interior in the NFL. And I think over the course of time he's developed a little bit of pass rush juice. You know, not going to be his game, but he has seven pressures on the year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his run defense grade is 75 this season. It's been above 70 pretty much every season of his career. He's just your classic stout, you know, no tackle on the interior um, that can displace players and, and really wreak havoc. And, and, you know, when DeForest is getting freed up or the addresses are getting freed up, it might not be in the stat sheet, but a lot of that is because Grover Stewart is occupying multiple offensive linemen and really just causing problems on the interior. All right, Brad. The other is Zaire Franklin. And certainly people around here have taken note over his play to start this season. People nationally, people at PFF, they taking note of how Zaire Franklin has played through the first five weeks of 2023? Absolutely. Through the first three weeks, he had the most solo tackles uh, by any off-ball linebacker in PFF history, which is since 2006. So the most tackles of any linebacker um, in, in, what, 15, 17 years um, through the first three weeks. And he, I think he's had double-digit tackles in every game since then. So, yeah, look, I think he could be a little bit better in coverage, but, I mean, he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. It's not just like it's all pursuit tackles and he's chasing players down. He has six tackles for loss or no gain. He has 26 defensive stops, which we define as an unsuccessful offensive play, you know, so not staying ahead of the chains, which is the second most in the NFL among, among all players. Um, yeah, we, we are certainly taking note. I mean, he's everywhere every week. All right. The other thing I was curious about, and we're going to talk a little bit about everybody else in the NFL. The Niners, the best team going right now, where would you factor in the Eagles? I think both these teams meet coming up in early December. So I guess at that point in time, that will decide a little bit in the regular season. But where do you have the Niners and the Eagles slotted at the top of the NFL so far this year? Yeah, I think the Niners are, are one overall, um, you know, which I think is a bit crazy to say with Brock Purdy. But I really do think, look, I'm still not going to call him a top 10 quarterback. I'm not even sure if he's a top 15 quarterback. But he is adding elements to this offense that's elevating the offense around him. It's not just the playmakers and Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, they are, you know, the, the brain trust, and, and they're incredible. And he's throwing to wide-open receivers all the time. But his footwork, his rhythm, his timing is really, really impressive he gets the top of his drop in seven steps. He takes one hitch, and the ball gets out very quickly. He had a throw uh, on, a, on a poster or maybe a deep slant uh, to Brandon Ayuk where he split two defenders in this super tight window and delivered an absolute strike over the middle of the field, probably 15 yards downfield. Like, that is not a game manager you know, or a guy who's just being carried. As much as that is a factor, um, he's, our, he's a top-five graded quarterback for us in the intermediate area of the field. So 10 to 19 yards downfield, and he has the highest yards per attempt in the NFL on those throws. So long answer short, I got the Niners first overall in the NFL. Look, Philly, I mean, shoot, Philly might be second. I think, you know, Buffalo, Miami, Kansas City are all very, very good teams. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, Philly, I don't think he's even played their best football this year. I've been kind of unimpressed with all five of their games in certain facets, and yet they sit there at 5-0, and and they've played some good teams. Give me some rough spots that both those unbeaten teams you can exploit if you get to it. And then also a couple of those one-loss teams. You mentioned Miami. I think you also mentioned the Chiefs. Give me some rough spots or maybe like the Death Star, a a point where you can zero in on and maybe destroy them at that moment because this is something that has yet to be exploited out of these better teams in the NFL. What might that be? Yeah, so this separates the two for me. So the Niners, I honestly don't think they have a true death spot. They are problematic right now against the run. They've been exploitable up the interior. They've had a lot of, you know, Javon Hargrave and even depth pieces like a Kevin Givens and, and you know, a Javon Kinlaw, a young guy for them, um, are not great against the run. So obviously their linebackers are phenomenal. Fred Warner might be the best linebacker in football, but you're able to get to the second level running against them, um, which could be a problem. For me, for Philly, I have concerns. Their entire secondary is a concern to me. Like, Darius Slay and James Bradbury are good players, but they're both 30-plus years old. Bradbury's already missed a game. I think Darius Slay is starting to see a little bit of, you know, being a step late here and there. And if they have injuries to those guys, I mean, they've had to fill in with guys like Josh Joby and others um, the past couple weeks, and those guys have been getting picked on the entire season. Um, Their safety plays a bit shaky as well. So, 
I love their trench units, maybe the best trench units in the NFL, um, but that secondary in Philly really concerns me, and it's the reason why they've been giving up a a good bit of points against certain opponents. Freak out for good reason with the Cowboys, especially the way they were dismantled in San Francisco on Sunday night? Yeah, a little bit, and I had them as a you know top five team in the NFL coming into the season, and I think that was an incorrect take. I mean, they just they got out physical. They got bullied in that game on both sides of the ball. They also have a very problematic run defense. They draft Mozzie Smith, the nose tackle in the first round, who barely plays for them because he really has just been a non-factor. And so they have like a 35 year old Jonathan Hankins who's a starting nose tackle, um, and he's just not the same player he was for a very long time. Uh, in New York and Las Vegas. So and their linebacker core is decimated with injury. Looks like Leighton Vanderush now could be out for a while with a neck injury, something he's dealt with in the past. So I think you're going to be able to attack them over the middle of the field and throw on them at the intermediate level with ease, frankly, as long as you, know, you hold up against their pass rush. So, yeah, no, Dallas, it, it's a problem. And then on offense, the guys just were not getting open in this game. I think it was a stale game plan for Mike McCarthy. There was no pre-snap motion, not a lot of play action, not a lot of you know bunch and stack formations to create free releases for receivers. It was just a static and kind of kind of lazy game plan. I mean, it was a coaching mismatch in every way, you know, in that game. Uh, all right, I want to ask you about some trades we have seen recently. One is with the assumingly and perpetually uh, disgruntled Chase Claypool, seems like, at wide receiver. Van Jefferson earlier today, which I always loved, but he never seemed with that Rams team to reach consistent potential. And then Randy Gregory going from Denver defensively to an already loaded group in San Francisco. What do you think about these three moves? Yeah, so Chase Claypool, like you said, I mean, if he can't make it work in Miami, then I don't think he's going to make it work anywhere. I get the frustration, I suppose, in Chicago, not a great passing attack. Um, you know, but, but, but if you can't make it work in a Miami Dolphins high-flying offense, then it's probably a you problem uh, and not a, you know, not getting schemed up the right way or not being used the right way problem. Uh, I'm sorry, what were the other two you cut out for a little bit? Uh, Randy Gregory was one defensively, and then Van Jefferson earlier today. Yeah, yeah. So Randy Gregory, uh, you know, he's also dealt with injuries throughout his career. He's more of a rotational player. He is a good pass rusher, um, and, and I think we'll add a nice element to San Francisco. You know, all they do is pick up guys like that, and then have, they have career years with them. I think it's kind of a message from Sean Payton. I mean, just trying to get players to buy in and, and focus more um, and play better football. But, the, I mean, that's the worst pass rush in the NFL in terms of pressure rate this season, and they just traded away a guy for nothing who they gave a five-year, $70 million contract to last year. So I think he will be at, at a nice element in San Francisco, but I bet he plays 12 snaps a game. The Van Jefferson trade I actually love for both parties here. I mean, as soon as Cooper Cup comes back, you see Van Jefferson barely plays. They have a clear top three in Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and Tutu Atwell. He goes to Atlanta and might be the number two receiver, you know, behind, you know, Drake London. Like, Matt Collins is a good blocker. But but Van Jefferson's a solid football player, a good downfield threat. I thought that was just a smart, savvy move for both franchises. Yeah, yeah. Van Jefferson always just, to me, he has those moments when he pops, but they're just not consistent moments why and especially with that offense and i know you bring up a good point regarding cooper cup but why could he not find his own niche within that rams offense you know it's unfortunate because i think he was probably trending in that direction and then injuries you know i think he tore his acl i'm not in the super bowl but, but like no that wasn't super bowl but anyway he, he had a bad injury and i think he has kind of lost the step since then where he was always an average or okay separator, but I think he did win, you know, downfield, not the fastest guy in the world, but one downfield because I knew he knew how to stack corners and, and box out and, and kind of create uh, room for himself to haul in deep passes. And unfortunately, I think he just, yeah, injuries kind of caught up to him a little bit. It's uh, Brad Spielberger with us for PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Before I let you go, some other things maybe we haven't talked about and what you're writing about here in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, so a lot, a lot coming up this week. Of course, talking trade candidates. Uh, Van Jefferson was on that list, so i got to replace him on there. But we're going to have uh, probably 20-some-odd trade candidates before the Halloween deadline in three weeks. Oh, hey, bring uh, them up. Bring up a couple here that may be interesting to, to Indy folks. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I don't know about Indy because a lot of pass rushers, you know, Brian Burns, Daniil Hunter, I don't know if the Colts need another defensive lineman. But, um, you know, I think receivers in, in Denver, speaking of Denver, I think Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are probably available um, you know, I think Minnesota might go undergo a fire sale at this point with the injury to Justin Jefferson. So, you know, a lot of those guys, I'm trying to think here, who would be a good position fit 
Um, you know, I, I got the, uh, I got one for you here. One yeah. final question. Um, yeah. and, and again, this is this may be tough to answer because it's it's incredibly hypothetical, but that's how I work. Um, so Brad. You get the offseason coming up for the Colts, and there's no doubt that they need a big-time, always-go-to, elite-level wide receiver. And they're still going to bring back Michael Pittman Jr., but they need that type of guy here. And when you look at the free agency that's upcoming, it's not very robust at that position whatsoever. Might there be a team and or a receiver that become disenchanted with one another. And I had mentioned, and I had my fingers crossed in Minnesota that maybe Justin Jefferson could become available because of a situation like that. Or maybe Cincinnati, somebody could come available like that. Something that is surprising, much like we saw a couple of years ago with A.J. Brown during the draft going from Tennessee to Philadelphia, which really set the table for them as how we know them offensively the way they are right now. Anybody stand out in that possibility, that capacity, move Moving into the offseason later on in months to come as far as that position is concerned? Yeah, I think the biggest name you're probably going to see realistically available is Jerry Judy in Denver. But I'll tell you this. I know teams have been calling Cincinnati about T. Higgins for the last couple months um, you know, since he did not get his, uh, his extension this past offseason. He's obviously dealing with a rib injury right now, but I don't know. Maybe teams keep calling and, and Cincinnati – maybe lose the game or Joe Burrow tweaks that calf or something. Um, he's the only like truly upper echelon elite number one guy that I think could realistically come available. Now, one more name for you. Uh, the New England Patriots have a fire sale. Uh, right guard Michael Onwenu, I think, could be a nice upgrade over Will Fries uh, for the interior of that offensive line. In an expiring year, has inside-outside flexibility, uh, good in the gap scheme, biz, big physical player. Uh, maybe he's a, a specific Colts-type target, uh, not that they really engage in a whole lot of trade deadline shenanigans. Yeah, they, they probably won't, but it's, uh, it's worthy of good, solid Tuesday content with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Every Tuesday right here at the 4 o'clock hour on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Brad, have a fantastic week, and we'll fire it up and do it again next Tuesday. Sounds great. You do the same. Yeah, Brad Spielberger right there. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Bob Kravitz, the columnist who joins us now. I want to start with you on this, Bob, for a moment. You were on the very low end in your columns at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz regarding the Colts before the start of the season. It's not like I was much higher in my predictions either, but have you changed your mind? Have you up now the expectations with what you have witnessed so far at all? Well, uh, I'm good. I'm not very good at math, but when you predict the team is going to win three games and they've already won three games out of five, you probably ought to change your, uh, your <laughs> prediction. <laughs> oh, look, I, I still don't think they're going to win a ton of games. I still think they're going to get a very high draft pick, uh, in, in the next NFL draft. But, uh, uh, I've been I've been very surprised, happily surprised. This is a this team is so much more tough minded than the team last year. I mean, last year's team was mental mental jello. You know, the first at the first sign of adversity, they went into the fetal position. Uh, that's how you give up thirty three point lead. That's how you give up thirty three in the fourth quarter to Dallas. Um, this team, uh, which I think is a reflection of the coaching staff. Uh, and Shane Sykin in particular, um, they are much more tough-minded. Uh, we even in their loss, we saw the way they came back against the Rams. Uh, you know, a game they, it, it, you know, uh, a, a couple of decent catches here and there, they win that game in regulation. So yeah, I've been I've been very surprised. You know, do I think they're going to win a ton of games? No. Do I think they're going to compete for uh, a playoff spot? Uh, no. But, uh, you know, uh, they've been much better than uh, I think most of us expected, certainly me. It's Bob Kravitz who joins us. Do you tend to look at that division and combine it with their schedule? And this, this sounds bad. I don't mean it to sound this way, but they're just, by virtue of the schedule alone, going to fall into a lot of wins. And, like, for example, this is what makes this this type of game in Jacksonville on Sunday such a, a high priority early in, in October because you're going to just, because the opposition is not very good, fall into some of these wins later on. Where do you think they end up? I mean, is this a team that, 
could be competitive within this division throughout basically the rest of this schedule? Is that something you would predict? You know, I, I know what people want me to say, but if you want me to be honest, I don't think so. Um, you know, especially with, uh, with AR out for a month or however long it's going to be ultimately. Uh, I still think Jacksonville is far and away the class uh, of the AFC South. Uh, you know, I'm not crazy about the Titans. that they, they can't seem to win on the road or even be competitive. Um, you know, and, and Houston, Houston's been kind of surprising. I mean, uh, Stroud has been absolutely terrific. They've got some good young wide receivers, Nico Collins, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, but I, I don't see the Colts being at that level just yet. You know, maybe next year, year after that. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, it's such a shame with Anthony because, I, you know, he, he needs these snaps so desperately to, to get up to speed and get to where he needs to get to and to, to miss a month like this is uh, going to be really tough. Who, who caved more to get something done, the Colts or IU, to get Kentucky on the schedule in the fashion in which they did? Wait, come again? Come again? Who caved more? Was it the Colts? You know, getting the extension to Jonathan Taylor when they did. Oh, the Colts. Or, or was it IU basketball and IU uh, going ahead and, and giving Rupp twice what right. Kentucky wanted out of that? I, I see that Woodson says, "Well, the next time when they continue <laughs> the, the the series, they'll do Bloomington twice and Rupp once. So we'll see about that. But uh, you know, who knows if Calipari and Woodson are still around." Uh, coaching at that point. But I, I think in terms of caving, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but in terms of giving in, uh, clearly, I, you know, if if you're a Colt and you want your money, hold out, man. You know, come up with the, come up with some kind of, you know, uh, ankle uh, issue. Um, you know, uh, it, it's really weird. Something, something, was, at some point, the 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 background story here is going to emerge. Right now, I don't know what it is because I'll tell you what. Everybody in this town thought that this thing was going to. Not everybody, you know. I'll, I'll just speak for myself. Thought that uh, this thing was going to get uglier before it got better. And certainly, if you're at that press conference that Jonathan Taylor had, uh, uh, I guess it was the day he came back to practice on a Thursday. Uh, he sounded like a guy with one foot out the door. You would, he either has the greatest poker face ever or I don't know, but there was no way on that Thursday that you had any reason to believe that this thing was going to be, um, you know, that they were going to you know, reach a conclusion sometime in the next 24 hours with an extension. Uh, I'm still looking up pejorative right now. Pejorative. P-E-J-O-R-A-T-I-V-E. bad. Expressing contempt or disapproval from Bob Kravitz. Exactly. I used it correctly. I'm right. You did. That is well done. Bob's on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You you have any thoughts on what it might be? You said you don't know, but normally, even if you don't know, you have some thoughts or some opinions. You have anything that could have transpired that maybe motivated the Colts to go ahead and meet more so Jonathan Taylor in the middle than we thought they were ever going to? I, I mean, I really, I mean, I think I've proven so far that I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, not, not to trash myself, but. Uh, I had every reason to believe based on what was going on, the people I talked to, that this thing was going to turn ugly, and it didn't. And, hey, give give Chris Ballard a lot of credit here. I think him and, and the agent, uh, and isn't he a classy guy, but him and the agent uh, got it together in the background while while Ursay was, you know, talking out his you-know-what. Um, you know, uh, Ballard got it done, and I – you know, it was interesting to hear Jim say the other day that he didn't want to give them this extension quite as early as they did. 
So that tells me that uh, Ballard stepped up and made this thing happen. And and this is like Jeff just sent me this. He says, "Who said JT wasn't the one that caved?" Shake my head, and I, I think by what you mentioned, Jim Mersey had said after the fact that he got this done before he ideally wanted to. Right, kind of shows you that the Colts were the one that were more trying to meet this thing in the middle in this case than I would guess Jonathan Taylor's side of things. What, what, what I don't understand, John, is I, I remember writing this back in uh, when we were in Westfield. Why can't they just come up with three years, $12, 13000000 million a year and right. call it a day? Right. I mean, it just seemed like if, if they were going to reach this conclusion, they could have done it how long ago? Now, we don't know what the Colts are offering. We don't know what JT's people and JT were asking for. We, we don't know. But, good Lord, they must have been pretty far apart for things to have gotten as ugly as they got. Yeah, and the one thing that stands out to me as kind of an interesting angle is what both Mike Chappell and Stephen Holder had, where you could tell it came directly from the Colts. And this was at the very early stages of this when they said, you know, they, you know, you could end up activating, um, you know, an injury, you know, non-football related style, right, and right. and do, yeah, I mean, that just seemed like at that time that was certainly a Colts motivated rumor or report that was out there, and they were using that for some sort of of leverage. That does make you wonder a little bit more about it. Well, the, the thing that's interesting is from the very beginning until the very end. The Colts had all the leverage. I mean, they had all the leverage. Just look at the CBA. There's just not all, the only leverage that Jonathan Taylor had, and it's not really leverage. He could have withheld his services, but then he gets fined $240,000 a game. So he really didn't have any leverage. And the fact that Zach Moss has come on and played so extraordinarily well, you would think that that would even further diminish the amount of leverage that Jonathan Taylor has. So this. To me, at least uh, from the outside looking in, uh, it came out of nowhere. Obviously, it didn't. Uh, these conversations have been going on for quite some time. But I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, you do this long enough, you become a pretty good judge of, you know, um, at press conferences, human nature, body, uh, body language. And Jonathan Taylor looked like a guy who did not want to be there. Um, or at least he sounded to me like he's um, uh, he had one foot out the door for sure. What are we going to see? I know Gus Bradley said last week when he expects to see, and who knows if that was kind of cushioning the blow of an injury and the lack of, of stats for Shaquille Leonard so far this year, right. but he mentioned they're, they're waiting on November to truly judge. When do you start judging on the play, on the field, and the production, or, or maybe even lack thereof, of 28? Well, I, I, I think you got to give them three, four games. I mean, I, I think, I think you know, if they can get some guys healthy and, and get their leg, get get them back in shape, uh, they could be pretty good late in the season. But you know, if you get AR back, you get Jonathan Taylor playing at at his best. Uh, I don't know what Shaquille Leonard's best is at this point. One thing I've learned over the million years I've been doing this is don't. Uh, don't undersell uh, great athletes. I mean, great athletes have a way of coming back. So I'm not counting Shaquille Leonard out. Um, that probably would bother him because he likes when people count him out. Uh, we hear that 20 times every every uh, press conference. But I, I still think he's got a chance to be a special player again. Uh, I'm not going to count him out. It's Bob Kravitz who joins us uh, almost every week right now. We love it. He's uh, obviously doing the column thing still at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Your confidence level, now granted, you're missing out on a lot because you just, it, it was really important to see Anthony Richardson play, mature, and grow, which with this amount of time, you're going to see him off the field, will not be doing that whatsoever. But you factor in Gardner Minshew. Where is the winnability concern to Gardner Minshew being your starter compared to that of how you might view this team if Anthony Richardson were the starter? Is it that far off the pace with either here? 
Uh, not in the short term, but I think long term, you know, the, the ceiling is obviously really high with Anthony. Um, I, I think you have a high floor with Gardner. I mean, he's, he, I, look, I've been screaming for years, even when Wentz was here, go get Gardner Minshew, but Wentz couldn't, probably wouldn't have been able to handle the competition. But uh, I, I think Gardner is, is, is the best backup in the league. Why the, I don't know if the Jets have called, but if I were the Jets, I probably would have called at least a week ago or two weeks ago when it looked like Zach Wilson was toast. Um, I, I think they would have a better season with a full season of AR than they would Gardner. But Gardner, you're going to be you're going to be in every game. You're going to be competitive because he doesn't throw interceptions. He doesn't throw. He doesn't fumble the ball. I mean, he he's really careful with the football. He makes a smart play all the time. So. I, I think the floor is high with Garner, but the roof the roof is through the ceiling, as Michael Jordan would say. Zach Moss to you is third right now in rushing in the NFL. And you know, most people that comes out of nowhere, there were a couple of very high on him. What's been your, your biggest impression on his production through the first five weeks of the season, Bob? I think I think he's obviously been terrific and, and I, I, there's no reason why he can't continue this. It's going to be really interesting to see how they move or how they work uh, JT back into the lineup. I think one thing we need to do is this offensive line was a total disaster last year. Right. They are playing really good football. I mean, you know, there's a lot of numbers that I don't completely understand, uh, you know, uh, as far as analytics go. But they are way up there in pass protection. Uh, They're running the football well. I think they're, what, top – three top four in uh, in uh, in rushing in the league so um i think you got to give a lot of credit to quentin nelson and ryan kelly's playing well and Braden smith and i'll tell you what this kid uh, uh freeland the rookie is coming to left tackle i haven't noticed i haven't noticed right ends uh you know defensive ends killing him uh he's he's been more than competitive at that spot and 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 tries to so, Bob Kravitz, I will say this last weekend, no doubt they played well. How important was it? There were a lot of things working. I mentioned this yesterday. I thought that that was an impressive win, and not because, Bob, Tennessee is a good team, because they're not that good, but because of the in-the-house losing streak at seven, the losing streak to the Titans at five, the whole Jonathan Taylor stuff happened a day prior. Then, during the game, you lose your rookie starting quarterback. With all that in mind, for them to win that game, I found as impressive of a win, even with a team that's not that great, that I've seen out of this team in a while. Yeah, it was just a tough-minded, gritty win. I, I really think uh, we're finding out, you know, it, it's early. But I'll tell you what, Shane Steichen has really been impressive so far. I don't agree with every movie makes. I, I didn't understand why he went for it on fourth and one down at, I think it was a four, five or six-yard line instead of yeah. kicking the field goal. I well, you're that. going for the points anyway. He's just not a dude that's going to do that. We may want to get used to that, I guess, because yeah, I, I, you're, I you're a guy that wants the points, and he, he just doesn't value three that much. So Yeah. yeah. So uh, what, what, what were we saying again? I don't know. I got lost, too. <laughs> <laughs> It was, cool, it, was it was yeah no 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 it was uh, it was about the impression of a win against a oh, team that's yeah, not yeah. that great. No, I I, yeah. I I think Steichen has really been impressive because that's what the second game where he's had to basically take the game plan yeah. and and put it in the Cuisinart and go to you know pull from Plan B uh, as opposed to Plan A and because you're talking about two completely different uh, species of quarterback here in, in terms of the style they play. So uh, I, I've been very impressed. And I, I think uh, I'll tell you another guy who's impressed me is Tony Sperano, who if you get a chance to talk to uh, Sykin, uh, you know, um, he'll tell you this guy is as impressive as they get. So, uh, you know, uh, kudos to him. To Bob Kravitz, again, you can read his work, his columns at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I I did want to move along 
to the Pacers as they begin their season. A little preseason action in Houston coming up later on tonight right here with coverage beginning at 7.30. Um, maybe I have them too high water. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at this point. They had 25 wins two years ago. Up that 10 wins to 35 last year. Um, and I expect them to win 10 more this year. That's probably too lofty. But where do you have them in terms of, of winning? And then what are you really most interested in seeing to start this season with this team and its makeup in mind? Well, I want to see what, what – uh, well, first of all, I think they're going to win about 41, 42 games. So I'm not, I'm not that far Yeah, that's, that's more reasonable, though, probably than mine, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I think the over-under is like 38 or something. I'd take, take the over in a heartbeat. But I'm really curious to see uh, how Obi Toppin fits in. I mean, we know he's great in transition. Uh, and, you know, you've got three guys who are terrific in transition – with uh, Halliburton, Brown, uh, and, and Toppin. Uh, and, and I'm curious to see uh, what we get from, uh, from uh, Benedict Matherin. Uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, I like the fact that Rick Carlisle gave him tough love last year because I think he's a kid who can handle it. He wants to be coached hard. And I, I want to see if he makes a – if he dedicates himself to the defensive end and becomes the kind of two-way player that I think we all know he can become. Yeah, it's funny. Some people that when they you know have the, the mean face on all the time and the focus face on all the time, some people look at that and go, well, you know what, that's not really them. He's not that. He is that way all the time. Absolutely all the time. He is. It is all business with that dude. He, he's he's got he, you know he, he's got I mean when I look at his game I see Dwayne Wade you know a young Dwayne Wade now it, will he be as great as Dwayne Wade I, I you know I have no idea but at least stylistically that's what I see but yeah he's a guy um, you know he another guy who grew up you know in a tough situation tough neighborhood and he's just a tough-minded kid I mean he's been through a lot and. Uh, you know, I, I think he's ready to take that next step. This may surprise you um, because we don't talk too much hockey, you know, too much uh, NHL around here. But the times we have, we have been joined in the past by Barry Melrose. Um, certainly, yes. certainly um, in studio a couple of different times, and then on the hotline more than a couple of times. And to hear the news today that he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, he's going to step away from yeah. ESPN and uh, covering the NHL. Uh, that That is absolutely a gut punch because he was as enjoyable, and really for a sport I don't follow a great deal, as enjoyable to watch, to listen to, as anybody in any sport out there. Well, you know, he was kind of the American Don Cherry without yeah. being a complete idiot. Um I mean, he, he, he brought hockey to the American audience in a way they could, they could understand it. Um, I, I really like Barry. This will come as no surprise to you whatsoever, but Barry scored on me. No way. Oh, Shocking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to play at the old McNichols Arena in Denver. Uh, all the, the, you know, Darren Pang and everybody else. We would go out and play on the ice before before uh, skate around and uh you know, we, we would play you know just pickup games and yeah barry melrose scored on me brian trottier <laughs> at least i was scored on by a hall of famer right now did um do you what kind of mask did you wear was it one of those old school like uh jason Voorhees mask or was it one of the new school versions what'd you wear well, in, I mean, in the old days i wore one of the old school fiberglass molded to your face masks right where every time you got hit in the melon you ended up with a concussion um but later on uh patrick Waugh, we made a we made a deal i would buy him a box of really nice cigars uh if he gave me one of his masks you know one of his new masks yeah so i i still have it here in my office <laughs> it's an old patrick Waugh mask that i used for for several years until i couldn't play anymore well it, it that, that news was was terrible about Barry Melrose because yeah, again he's yeah. been so enjoyable to watch and and really I would I would say probably helped introduce a Absolutely. lot of people that were not really that privy to the NHL and hockey the game itself and people forget he was a hell of a coach too he had a right. lot of success in 
in Los Angeles with Gretzky. No, no doubt about that. It's uh, Barry Melrose and our uh, best wishes to him as he deals Absolutely. certainly with this health issue. All right, what are you writing about here most recently? Well, what do you got? I, I wrote uh, today about, you know, is is this just bad luck or is, is he injury prone? And I think we, you know, I, I don't know how deep I got into it, but it's just, you know, when you've, when you've dealt with the Andrew Luck situation, when you've got a quarterback who keeps getting hurt, it's, it's concerning. Uh, and later in the week, I'm going to write about life on deadline. I got to thinking about it. Uh, this would be more of an essay than a column, but I got to thinking about it watching the Colts.com 20-year anniversary of the uh, Tampa game, yep. the comeback. And I thought about what a bizarre night that was and started thinking about some of the other deadline horror stories in my career. So I think I'm going to write that later in the week. It's well done. So Bob Kravitz, you can find that work and more, substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, Bob. We'll do it again soon. All right, buddy. Take care. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline having a fantastic year to date down on the south side of Indy. At UND, the Greyhounds unbeaten. Press on against a really good Truman team coming up this weekend. Chris Kievers is our guest right now. I want to ask you this. Uh, have you seen the film on uh, the Burris family and flag football yet? Are you recruiting Michael Burris's kids just yet? I have, I have not seen the film. We... we uh, uh... We're kind of stuck in the office. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, I, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I was just kind of joke. Michael Burris is from where I am from, down in Greene County, and uh, the reason why I see the film is because he puts it out there all the time. So I didn't know if you've seen the film as well. <laughs> of course, the assistant coach under Paul Casaro at UND. It's uh, my good friend Michael Burris. But they, they're they're just like their dad. They're in constant motion. Coach is what they are. Oh, there's constant. no question. <laughs> Constant motion. Hey, the season so far, um, to your liking, I, I guess it has to be, but you always want to make sure you maintain that competitive edge, meaning not too fat and not too sassy. Is this something you have to worry about with this group? Not, you know, especially not this week, but, you know, sometimes you, you always worry about guys, you know, you know, they, that if we don't, if we got to keep getting better each week, and yeah. if we don't get better each week, we have some problems. But this this group's been really motivated. They they take it week and week by week, and they're a bunch of fun to coach. And they, you know, it's uh, and this game is, you know, we're playing the nineteenth team, nineteenth uh, team ranked team in the country, and really good football team, Truman State. So we're we're pretty excited about. Are it. you at a point in the season, coach, where you thought that your team would be right now? Because I always like to ask that, especially when you're having a great type of season compared to what. Your your preseason expectations were about this group. Are they matching up right now? You know, I'd have to say yes. You know, we you know we went through camp and we really liked our quarterback and and liked our tailback and the defense is you know we got a new defense coordinator. He's putting it together really well and things just start clicking about week three in camp and we thought we'd have a pretty good football team. All right, Coach Keevers, Chris Keevers of UND joins us. Um, I wanted to bring this up too because Greg Gregstraw, somebody you know very well from UND, uh, he and I were talking about you and your team a little bit earlier, and, and he mentioned uh, the prowess of your defense and really from top to bottom how good it has been so far and that's going to want to kind of bring it up in terms of your team is that what you expected from that side of the football because it seems like on paper so far it's been good and then some to this point yeah you know we had all four guys back in the secondary and you know we had mike brown the north central uh, uh north central high school uh, recruit was a really good player for us you know preseason all-american and and we have you know we had three impact defensive linemen back and you know we had a couple linebackers back we thought we were going to be pretty good and and you know we we just keep getting better each week that's and that's what you have to do as well i always like to ask this too and it seems like a a a fruitful because you guys are in a great spot i mean on the on the south side where you are it seems like it's an absolute easy drive for a variety of schools how fruitful do those schools and really central Indiana schools continue to be for your football program? Because there is a lot of talent out there that I'm assuming that you love to cultivate on a year in year out basis. 
Yeah, I mean, football in Indianapolis, high school football is unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, you look at it and it's, it's, it just keeps getting better. So a lot of players, and we, we really want to recruit Indianapolis. That's, that's where we start. And we've got some really good players. And, you know, every year we're, you know, we, we start out, Indianapolis is our focus because, they're, again, it's, just, it's really good football. Um, have you you've been around here for a while, as I mentioned too? How, how have you seen that? For example, you go back to the mid '90s when you and Rakestraw are, are enrolled at, at UND. How have you seen that change and/or evolve for the better over the years, Chris? Well, I mean, the facility's gotten better. They've all gotten strength coaches. Uh, you know, Dick Delahan kind of started it, and Ben Davis, and everybody copied you know what he was doing in, in football, high school football from the '90s to 2000. It just keeps getting better because. You know, everybody's got the right plan. They approach it like college, and start those kids start lifting when they're freshmen. And you know, it's you know, and there's so many good football programs around here. You know, because but but Dick, you know, Delahan started it back in the back in the '90s. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want you to elaborate a little bit on that. I always kind of view it as. You look at when when Peyton Manning got here with the Colts and Coach, they took off and started so consistently winning to where that helped everything else evolve football-wise. I mean, you saw a trickle-down effect, you know, collegiately to high school, even below high school with a love of football. But when you bring up Coach Dullahan, you know, that's a different aspect right there where he was kind of at the forefront of, of starting what is routinely known in what high school, you know, high school in and high school out do to help maintain year after year the quality of their program. Yeah, I mean, it starts with a strength coach and speed development and, you know, skill development and, you know, approach it like a college. And, you know, those guys, Center Grover's the reason why they keep winning. I mean, they those guys are, they've got it down. They're, you know, speed development, strength strength development and, and skill development. It's, it's, it's impressive when you go around Westfield, just go around all the programs, Brownsburg, and you're like, my goodness. Yeah. They, they do a great job. I've always, and I've, I've told Eric this before, and, and living where I live, I, I'd notice it a lot more than anybody else might, but he, from the time a kid in a single-digit age picks up a football and they are involved with CG, everybody, coaching staff, parents, kids, all push in the exact same direction. And that's what they've done over the years with Eric's program. I'm assuming that should be a model for a lot of programs, not just at the high school level, but any program level here. Everybody pushing in the right direction because sometimes that can be few and far between, but when it happens, you can win at a high level year after year, and that's what we've seen. And that's, you know, that's what we have here. We've got administration that's backing us and that, that helps us win. And, then, you know, we've got a support system. And then that's why you win. I mean, when, when a bunch of people get together and they're all going the same way and, and everybody's in, you know, it, it, it's it's easier to win. And, you know, it's and that's what he's boy, he's got it going. Oh, we got to give some love to the administration because when you got a good one, you want to hold on to that good one tight, don't you, Coach? Is there any doubt yeah. about that? No question. I mean, when you get supported and, and – and they want to help you win. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's that's a big reason why we're winning right now. I mean, you know, we we'll go out. We can recruit anybody we want. We can go anywhere we want. And uh, you know, it, it it helps when you get support. All right, uh, Chris Keever's the head coach of UND. Back to back on the road. Quincy coming up the twenty first, but nineteenth ranked. Truman coming up this weekend. I want to get your thoughts on that matchup and how these two teams match up in this huge game coming up this weekend for you. you know, always a close game. We've been playing them since 12. Uh, I mean, it's, it's and you know, in 21, we were down there and we and we won 13-10 and we set football, football back 20 years, but uh, <laughs> we're we're two teams that want to run it and and be physical and stop the run. You know, very similar teams, and so uh, uh, it's it's always a really good game. You know, last year we you know we were down fourteen nothing at half and came back and scored twenty eight unanswered in the second half and, and won the championship. So it's uh, uh, it's it's always a challenge. Is it fair to say that that you on theirs and and, and they being on your schedule, or or you like the the mid season gauge of where you are for each other at this point? Oh, there's no question. I mean, both of us have have, have won and 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 won big in all of our games. So, uh, and we've had some like alike opponents, and we've had like scores. So, we're going to find out who's you know who's who. In a, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah, again, Truman uh, on the road coming up this weekend, and then at Quincy on the twenty first, and I believe back 
back at home against Upper Iowa. That's further down the road. We'll have to talk yeah. about that some other time because there's I'm sure you've probably got concentration on Truman right now. But Chris Kiever is the head coach of UND on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. It is always a pleasure. Uh, a shout out and give a lot of love to our friends down there on the south side and keep doing what you've done so well so far, and that's winning football games, Coach. Thanks for joining us. JMB, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Go Hounds. Chris, anytime. Chris Kievers in the incredibly successful football program at UND. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Somebody else that knew Ron Sexton very well, much like I did, as we are both working through the business over off of Fall Creek Road together. Greg Rakestraw joins us now. Hello, Greg. Hello, my friend, and I am all for any and all remembrances of uh, a good man in Ron Sexton and a fellow Reds apologist such as yourself and myself. It is um, like I I get up and think about that, and it it seems ridiculous that he's no longer with us. I mean, it does. So I would tend to I would tend to agree with that. If you'd like for me to divert us on to a little bit more of a of a more positive topic, and we can talk about Ron the entire segment yeah. if you want to. I'm gonna prove the efficacy, that's a fancy word for saying effectiveness, of your advertising. So literally I just got a text from my neighbor who works in the food business who asked if I could borrow, as in steal, some of your Winshuler spreads because he says they are that good. So people are listening, and their spending habits are changing because JMB told them to do so. Uh, we got to tell them. I've got the mother load with me right now. I've got eight tubs sitting here that Wynn Schuler's just sent, and that's like eight more than they have at both of my Kroger's that I go to in Greenwood right now. <laughs> so if you could carve me out a, l- a little bit of that. I'm not sure I need an entire tub, but, but like put some in a Ziploc bag or something for me and just leave it in my mailbox. That'd be great. I appreciate that. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw right there. The shout-out to Winshuler Spreadable Cheeses, the sponsor of the lounge via YouTube Live and the ride with JMV. Meyer and Kroger location. Send me those pictures too because I send them. I send them off to Winshuler's and they love to see that stuff. Um, I, I want to start before we get to the Colts, a little high school football. Final regular season Friday coming up this Friday, correct? Correct. Big games. Obviously, Cathedral and Center Grove is the biggest game, but probably not having the state finals ramifications seemingly that it has had in years gone by. Center Grove is kind of one of a big three. Cathedral and Danny O'Neill are certainly capable. If they give Center Grove a good battle on Friday, maybe we kind of include them into that conversation uh, in terms of, of the postseason run. Um, Brownsburg and HSC. You know, the HCC has been so good this year. So having those two kind of go at it coming up uh, on Friday night is a big deal. Another couple of games as well that have my attention um, and this is in Class 3A. Hamilton Heights is 8-0. West Lafayette has lost twice, and one of them was to the... Did Greg just disappear? Oh, there you go. I'm sorry. You disappeared for one moment. I'm sorry. Go ahead and regain your footing there. Probably because I was trying to bogart some Winshulers there. <laughs> nice. Um, Ham- Hamilton Heights and West Lafayette uh, play each other for what is it, the Hoosier Conference Championship yeah. uh, coming up on Friday night. And then the other game that... Again, is is an, against not a state foe, but Chittard is the clear favorite in Class 3A. They'll probably play the best team they'll face all season in Cincinnati Elder, and if they can get past them on Friday night, I'm not sure anybody else in 3A is going to have much of a shot. Even though there are so many undefeated teams in 3A heading into the final week of the season, man, they have looked so good the entirety of the season. Might might the uh, power going off, and they were going to be good anyway, Greg. Don't get me wrong, but how much of a um, I guess literally and figuratively here, boost was that for them coming back and doing what they did against Cathedral on that Sunday, Saturday morning, I should say. Oh, that was because if they if they played them every year, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but my guess would be is that Chittard wins about once every eight or nine years against Cathedral. That is something that is kind of easy to wipe away if they aren't able to beat, beat them, like, all right, we're going to play anybody that good the rest of the season. But when they are infused with that confidence, I, I think it has been a game changer for them the rest of the way. To Chittard's credit, they have really upped their schedule over the course of the last few years. And I probably didn't play out last week in terms of playing Short Ridge in week number eight, but it certainly does in playing a team like Elder coming up in, in week number nine. Again, I think they're the favorites in 3A regardless of what happens Friday night. But they've been riding high off the momentum of that, that, you know, 
two-day, two-half victory against you. If you go back from week number four, absolutely, John, they have been. Greg, Greg Straw is with us. Where are you with that opening night of the sectional Brownsburg-Ben Davis matchup? So I will be there. We'll have that game on my I figured that, yes. Yeah, in, in terms of number one versus number three. And that was the season opener for those teams for the last several years. That was not the case this year. Um, ben Davis ended up going down to Cincinnati Moeller and beating Moeller, uh, you know, in a kind of a statement game just for the state of Indiana, let alone Ben Davis, back in week number one. Um, I think both those teams are capable of being state championship teams, but you know because of the proximity that they have with each other, you know, it's just, hey, you're going to run into there. It's going to be week one or week two of the postseason. Might as well make it week number one where you've got an extra week to prepare, you know, coming off the games in week number nine. Ben Davis has North Central. They've largely got the Mick wrapped up. And again, North Central, young. They're going to figure it out with Derek Hart as the head coach. Finally, going to figure out against Ben Davis uh, in, in terms of on Friday night. But that is going to be a great game, and I cannot wait for it. Some 17 days away. So, Greg Graystraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Fifth quarter huddle for the Colts. That's their postgame show with Bill Brooks after every game. I'm certain, and I listened to a little bit of it, too, on my way to Kroger to look for Winshuler's spreadable cheeses to where I did not find any on that given Sunday. But I'm assuming everybody calling in was incredibly happy. And how rare is it? And this is zero to do at all in being negative regarding Anthony Richardson, but how rare is it to where you have a fan base believing that it's equal or maybe even greater greater than the winnability of a team when they lose a starting quarterback, as we've seen Anthony Richardson go out with this sprain of the AC joint here? I, I can't remember often when this has occurred, but it certainly I, I know when you have a bad quarterback, it does. But it, not even in the New York teams, it, it seems like that the better option is coming off the bench or at least an equal to the winnability type of option coming off a bench. This seems like rarefied air to a bit right here. It is 1A and 1B. Uh, and most teams, yeah, I shouldn't say most teams, most teams feel good about their one. Rarely they feel good about their two. And the Indianapolis Colts have that. And again, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. Let's, in, let's enjoy the next 12 games and hopefully more of this season. I would imagine this is a one-year luxury that the Colts have. Because I think Gardner Minshew is finally proving he is one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the National Football League. Somebody that doesn't hit on the quarterback derby in the draft this year with having seemingly three of them at least that are potentially franchise guys. Somebody's going to say, we'll pay him, you know, 15 to $20 million for the next two or three years, and he'll be a starting quarterback someplace else next year. I hate to say that, but let's, so let's enjoy Gardner Minshew while we have him here. Well, it's, and, yeah, it's funny. You don't even want – you don't really want to see him play, but you're not upset to yeah. see him play. It's really an odd situation here. And and it, frankly, it goes both directions because you probably heard you know a couple of callers like this on the show almost saying, "Hey, do we need to just go ahead and sit down Anthony Richardson for the rest of the year?" And the answer is no. Obviously, he has to get healthy before he gets back out there. But it's not like Richardson has played poorly in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I realize his completion percentage wasn't great the previous week in the loss against the Rams, but he was still very dynamic. His numbers before he got hurt just were really good. He was 9 of 12, uh, and, and his, his yards per attempt was, was over 8. Um, you, know, you know, those were really good numbers. So he's been better than expected, even if he hasn't played as much as we would hope. And despite the fact that he's been really good, you're not bummed. You know, extremely, I would say, based on the fact that now Minshew's going to get the ball for seemingly the next few weeks. So it is a unique situation, and it is probably nothing like we expected it was going to be coming out of training camp in mid-August up at Grand Park in Westfield. He's Greg Rakestraw with us. Have your Colts' expectations for the season changed, or will that take them getting the job done on the road Sunday? No, they've changed. They've absolutely changed. Um, And I kind of think – almost like the Baltimore game, which obviously went well for the Colts, this is kind of a house money game. Um, because going into the season, you expect the Jacksonville to be the best team in the AFC South. In other words, Colts could play well on Sunday and lose that game. It'd be disappointing if they did and already were down the tiebreaker to Jacksonville after six weeks. But even if they lose, 
They're a game out of first place, and they're 500 with only having Jonathan Taylor for a part of one game, with getting one full game and pretty close to a second game out of Anthony Richardson, and that's it. Not having Shaquille Leonard, you know, kind of playing the way we kind of hoped or expected he would be. And those are three of your biggest stars heading into the season. And yet here you are three and two, and you've got a chance to be in first place in your division after six weeks. And, and I don't, I think even the most optimistic of Colts fans wasn't sure that was the case. So absolutely, John, I, I have, I have changed what my outlook and my expectations and hopes were going to be for this season coming into it. Hey, Greg, before I let you go, Chris Kievers is going to join me at five 30. <laughs> uh, UND is inside that, that top 20 once again, too. And I know you follow them greatly. Uh, a couple of good questions in the type of season you've seen out of the Greyhounds at this point. Well, unfortunately, I don't get to follow the Hounds as, as closely as I have in years gone by, but I am always rooting for Chris Keevers uh, because Chris keeps me young. Chris's first year on campus in the fall of 94 was my first year on campus nice. as a freshman. And I think back to a two-win season followed by a two-win season followed by a four-win season, and then things have kind of taken off from there. What strikes me about this UND group so far this year is how good they have been defensively. And of all the results that were really eye-popping to me, it was going to Saginaw Valley State and smoking Saginaw Valley State. Won that game 35-10. to 10. That is often where undefeated seasons have gone to die for UND, dating back to the old GLIAC days when they were conference rivals, or even last year when Saginaw put it on UND pretty good, even though UND still won the league and still qualified to be a postseason team. Um, they've got a new quarterback in uh, that is a transfer. In fact, their top two quarterbacks are both transfers in uh, this season, but it's their defense that has won them a lot of games, and it's that defense I think will travel. Their next big game coming up is Truman. That is often now for the GLVC championship. That has been historically the last game of the season. That got moved into the month of October. If UND gets past Truman, should be smooth sailing and claiming yet another GLVC championship for Coach Keepers. You, you look at this team with a good possibility to be unbeaten? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and again, while the national ranking is important, everything is really about what your regional ranking is because then that is what sets up, you know, how many home playoff games do you get? Do you get a bye? Uh, what other conferences are you aligned with? And so UND has never been higher than a two seed. Unfortunately, the last time that they got the two seed, they got knocked off by Harden. As you felt, Jack wants to be a part of the conversation. That's okay. Jack, yeah, Jack can be a part of the conversation anytime he wants. He's fired up about the Hounds as well. He's <laughs> passed on. So UND got beat when they were the two seed by Harding, the seven seed, a handful of years ago. So UND has really not kind of never cashed on that chance to have multiple home games in terms of a key stadium in the postseason. Hopefully this sets up them to have that opportunity where they're playing multiple times on the south side heading into Thanksgiving weekend and beyond. All right, so I missed you on Saturday night. Are we going to uh, rejoin the show this Saturday? Yes, and, and again, so you hear Jack in the background. Uh, you have vacation with Mr. Jack Rickstraw in the past. I have. My wife and daughter are enjoying a little fall break. Uh, in Colorado, as we speak. So on Saturday night, it was daddy daycare. So I was a little focused with him, so I couldn't call into the show. Uh, Amy and me returned tomorrow night. I kind of resume my normal work schedule at that point in time, which means I will be calling you early in the show nice. on Saturday night uh, because Indy plays in San Antonio. We don't go on the air until 8.30 on Saturday night. So uh, I'll be for, – for me, San Antonio Saturday night will look a lot like 65th and Benford. Amazing how that works. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'll be calling you sometime around 7 o'clock on Saturday night. You got it, buddy. I appreciate that, and uh, we'll talk at you then, man. Have a great rest of the week.